Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. are we watching these games for right i mean it's starting to become quite statistically unlikely that the raptors will not be participating in the play-in the wizards are streaking the raptors are missing guys fred who was the best player on the team for a large portion of the season and deserves a lot of credit for how he's played as a hip pointer thing and hip pointers as i've said on the podcast before and this is not my wisdom this is wisdom that comes from doctors and small point guards of the past Nothing to mess around with. You know, things are, they're getting shuffled in and out of the lineup. A bunch of different guys. So, these games, watching OG Ananobi, I think this is sixth game in a row with 20 plus points. That's fantastic. That's exactly what you want to see. Give him a bunch of shot attempts. See what it looks like when you load him up with a bunch of shots. See the different interpretations he has of the defense. There's been a playmaking bent that has always been there to some degree in his first year, you know, when he would catch the ball on the move and he'd be in the middle of the lane, drop off passes, dump offs to the dunker spot were part and parcel of the OG experience. Did they come often? No, but when he had an opportunity to make a good pass, he could. This is something that's been kind of percolating for some time. So to see it come to fruition a little bit more in these games, the playmaking especially, fantastic. The scoring is... It's the same as it's ever been. It's just more possessions. They're kind of mimicking what they did with Pascal, which is that that right 45 extended and just giving a bunch of isolation possessions. Keep in mind, you know, last year, Pascal was one of the highest usage isolation players in the NBA and did a pretty decent job given his volume. Now, with the season kind of up in the air, they're giving those same 45 extended isolations to OG And OG is kind of taking it in stride, seeing how many guys he can throw his shoulder into. So this game was fun if you like OG Ananobi. I mean, it was really fun. And if you don't want to focus too much else on what was going on, I'll give you the skinny. The Raptors struggled initially defensively when Jokic got the ball and they had to load up because OG did a fantastic job in initial defense, complicating things above the break, getting some steals, trying to veer the action away from Jokic. And if they did reset or eventually get the ball into them, you shaved seconds off the clock. 
you know, a few, which means that you get one or two less basket cuts while the ball is in Jokic's hands. If you know how the Nuggets defense, sorry, if you know how the Nuggets offense works, that's quite valuable. So OG did a great job defending in that manner. But Jokic, who will be the likely MVP, well, he won't be the likely MVP. He is the likely MVP. And when he's below the free throw line, that's too much for OG. OG is a beast. He's wonderful. He's one of my favorite players in the whole NBA. And, you know, show Tama Brown. I'm sure she's been enjoying this run of form for him. But he can't stop Jokic in the post. And there was a couple times that they had four guys on him. Everybody collapsed, and it just didn't matter because Jokic is a beast. His dexterity at the rim, his touch, the finesse, and the, the threat of a pass. Pump fakes and pass fakes are meaningful when they come from Nikola Jokic. So the Raptors in this game started off initially giving up points to other players because they overloaded on Nikola Jokic. And then by the end of the game, they were just giving up points to other players. You know, Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap came into the game, both as bench players in this one, but they they really dominated. They were able to bring a brand of physicality that the Raptors weren't really able to meet. And especially with, you know, Paul, there's a lot of finesse attached there too. And Jermichael Green, a guy who's been developing a lot of his skills for a long time and his really crafted himself into a very, very good role player. Having those two guys come in and just body the Raptors, you know, you're looking at a couple bigs who range from inexperienced to experienced, but never playing a super, super high level of basketball. And that's the Raptors lost this game really bad with their bench and to some degree with their starters. And so it's uh, the Nuggets are a good team. Even without Jamal Murray, they're very good. They employ... Nikola Jokic, they have Michael Porter Jr. who's been on a heater in his post-game commentary. He said that tonight was an off night and the Raptors still had to account for him a really high degree. They run tons of action for him. There's so much interplay between him and Jokic, those two-man actions. They run split action. They run a ton of stuff just to get him going downhill because he's a really smart cutter. Like his, his timing for cuts He's really, really next level. Not everybody has that. And to some degree, it's just something that you pick up. Like Lamelo and Lonzo Ball, the way they make hit-ahead passes is informed by years and years of playing that way. Michael Porter Jr., despite having exceedingly massive, just huge skills as far as on-ball creation department, is also incredibly good at working off-ball. So that's... That's something the Raptors had to contend with and did a pretty good job with in a lot of ways, but these things break down over the game and the extra attention paid to him while they were able to maintain the shell of their defense for this first, I would say, two and a half quarters, things started to break down a little bit as the game went on and they really lost it in the second half. And that's the thing with this game. Noted good defenders, well, an elite defender, Fred Van Vliet, and a good defender who, you know, maybe becomes elite someday, Paul Watson, they were both missing from this game and then noted good offensive players, but mm, so-so defenders, maybe even worse than so-so. Chris Boucher and Gary Trent Jr., they were also out of this game. So the Raptors relying on DeAndre Bembry for the first time in a while, Rodney Hood for the first time in a while, Stanley Johnson for the first time in a while. And there's a reason that Nick Nurse has moved on from each of these guys at different points in the season in the rotation. That's not something he wants to do when the team is playing at its best. And it is because of defensive deficiencies when we're talking about Hood, 
and Bembry sometimes. You know, I think he has the potential to be a good defender in the Raptors system. It's not looking likely like he comes back for a second year, even if I might like that. I think he is a really complimentary player when surrounded by other good players. So if the Raptors get another guy who looks good on this bench, maybe those transitional lineups are something you can get a couple minutes of Bembry in. And I think he actually does plug in quite well next to the the big players on the team. But yeah, I'm not sure what that ends up looking like. But he's had disappointing stretches this year, both in his... He was miscast as like an on-ball initiator, and that has not gone well in, I would say, like 85% of the times he was asked to do it. I think it's a resounding no for that type of role for him. But defensively, I thought he's usually been pretty good, although he can miss some cycles and rotations and stuff like that from time to time. Rodney Hood, he's just... For the same reason that the Blazers moved on from him is, you know, middling defense to bad defense and the shot-making pop, it's it's significantly worse than it was. And dealing with injuries and just having his athleticism hampered, it's not his fault. It's just that's the way things shake out sometimes, and that's, that's disappointing for him. And, uh, yeah, Stanley Johnson is just... I've talked about this before. He's really bad for the offense, even though, you know, if you look at the, the, the three guys I'm talking about here, Bembry, Hood, and Stanley Johnson, Stanley Johnson's six points and three assists, you might say, hey, that's, that's pretty good. But there's defenses play off of him, and he makes every off-ball action on the side of the floor that he's not on and the side of the floor that he is on so much more difficult because guys are always creeping off of him to help and it just makes everything just grind to a halt. And he's always the release valve. And he's not good enough to be a release valve. And if he's the release valve for your offense, the other team is licking their chops. Because they know you're going to have, over those minutes, like an 84 offensive rating. Unless a couple threes go in that usually wouldn't. And like, sure, he hit a three tonight. But he was one for three. And he had like seven open looks that he hesitated pump fake, and then reset with like six seconds left. He's a good defender. Stanley is, you know, he, he can do things at an NBA level. It's just not many of them fit well on the Raptors currently, especially given what these transitional lineups are supposed to look like. And the Raptors, Nick Nurse tonight, kind of just tossed Malachi Flynn out there like, hey, make it work. And Malachi Flynn, I thought tonight, was pretty good at that release valve thing I talked about with Stanley Johnson is that Malachi Flynn made some end-of-shot-clock shots, and he also did a pretty good job sliding in next to uh, the big guys. He was a starter in this one, and the 16 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. I was really happy with it, and he's he hit two mid-range jumpers that make me super happy. The one was just in isolation, shook loose, had a really fast pickup point, and the second one was him coming downhill, blew past the first line of defense, clearly knocked him off balance, didn't want to go all the way into the paint, so was off balance and just collected himself while gathering the ball, got to his mid-range jumper, and punished them. That's the thing. Some defenses, when they're scrambling, what they're always allowing is a wide-open mid-range jump shot. And this is you know, a conversation that's been being had for quite some time now. But you can have good offense depending on who's shooting the mid-range jumper, how often it's coming along, and what the defense wants to give at a certain point in time. And Malachi Flynn has shown a pretty good nose for sniffing out. He's got a keen sniffer, 
for sniffing out when to take those opportunities. And it's just when a defense is a little bit overzealous in what they're allowing, take it. Because if you can get a decent percentage, take it, make them pay for it. And not a lot of, maybe some teams should be more comfortable just allowing the middle and seeing like, hey, beat us with mid-range jump shots. But typically you can, you can dictate that they change it a little bit if you hit a couple shots in a row because NBA players are just not comfortable giving up open jumpers like that. And so usually guys will play it a little bit different. Even if it's not a change in scheme, guys might creep a little bit closer. They might peek in off the corners a little bit. Are they helping from the nail? Are they helping from the corner? Are they, It's just the spacing changes a little bit because you dictate that. And Flynn in this game, I was really happy with it. Lowry as well. Lowry was pretty sharp in this one, and that's largely because the Raptors, they when Kyle Lowry is shooting the three-pointer well, it just adds like a completely different dimension to what's happening because he is a rapid pull-up threat in pick-and-roll situations in transition, and when you have to count for him above the break in transition, and you also know that he's able to find and guys all over the court and spray the ball, pass it anywhere, and his ability to manage the lanes on the floor vertically and horizontally, that's really important. He's doing great. And if you're trying to account for, okay, what pass is he trying to find right now, he can pull up like, boom, stop on a dime, pull-up jumper goes up, and he can hit that. And coming off of like pin downs, curls, stuff like that, dribble handoffs, he's very potent. 5 of 10 from downtown tonight. Was really good at finding guys on the slip, finding guys cutting back door, 45 cuts to the opposite side of him. Always very good at finding those. And so tonight was a pretty good Lowry performance in a game where the Raptors, you know, their bench, they got bludgeoned towards the end of it and things just didn't go well. But it was a pretty good offensive performance from Lowry. Siakam, you can only ISO at the 45 extended so much in a game. And those possessions were going to OG. So Siakam, there was some grab and go stuff. He was finding, he got some post-up possessions. He got some isolation possessions. But for the most part, was left out of actions. And that's that's kind of where he was at. So he had to be more opportunistic. He didn't find that many opportunities for himself. And so 11 points on 11 shots. Wasn't very aggressive looking for anything. And, you know, maybe you want to pair him with that Malachi unit for a few more minutes and ask both guys like, hey, Look for more shots for yourself because these guys aren't going to give you much offense that you're paired with, and let's see you try and supercharge something. That wasn't the case. He, he There was a lot of overlap with him and Lowry and OG. So it's, you know, if he's not operating with the ball in hand and the defense is going to collapse off of him and the defense is going to allow him to be a shooter, as we've seen this year, it's been a bit of a struggle for him as far as three-point shooting goes. And so the Nuggets kind of laid off of him a little bit, so he wasn't cutting into space or anything like that when we think about 2019 secondary option Siakam, and he wasn't doing that kind of stuff. The the defense is playing off of him a little bit. His cuts into space aren't going to generate good looks, so he's going to space the floor, and he was comfortable enough to take one three-point shot in this one. But for the most part, the ball wasn't finding him he wasn't really aggressive in getting to the ball. And it's just, it's kind of a low-key game for him. And obviously, OG, who I talked about a bunch off the start, he he was great in the role. And so he wasn't like superstar level, but it's enough that you look at a guy who I think will probably compete for a defensive player of the year or two in his career. And 
if not that height, should be considered for all NBA if he's at this level virtually for like his whole prime and perhaps even afterwards, depending on how clever he gets as a defender. And he's already pretty clever, but him having any type of volume shooting that can get you any type of just eating minutes, giving you just below average offense. He doesn't even have to be like super, super good, which he is. But in this game, you get some below average offense. You get some, like he's a little bit below 40%. That's meaningful because he's working out and developing these skills. And when you already look at a guy who spots up as well as he does, moves so well off ball, can get himself into advantageous positions by getting steals, picking above the break passes on the opposite end, and is a defensive player of the year candidate, presumably, not this year, but years in the future. And if the Raptors were good this year, perhaps he would get some play. But he he doesn't have to be world-ending offensively, I'm saying. And sometimes he appears to be on a possession-by-possession basis. So OG, all the flowers, all the love, this is what makes these games fun. And a credit to OG and Kyle in particular for finding Ken Birch open. And Ken Birch was electric in this game. He's been really good defensively. He's really popped off offensively. I think he's very happy to be a little bit more of a focal point. Has done well in the role. Made a couple nice short roll passes as well. So very happy with a bunch of different performances. But the Raptors kind of imploded to some degree towards the end of this game. And, you know, the once again, that point differential thing, they only lost by 10, but this game towards the end, it felt like they should have lost by 25. It's just these funny little runs they go on towards the end of the game that will, you know, you're going to zoom out like seven years from now and there's going to be people looking at point differential and are, they're going to highlight this team in the weird COVID season like the second season that incorporated COVID because it's a pandemic. It's been around for so long and it, Ontario listeners know the effects of that more than most people currently. And, you know, the whole world knows about it. And so that's, that's something, but yeah, it's, it's people will look at the point differential and be like, was this team better than we thought? And evidenced by these fake comebacks and garbage time minutes and that the Raptors, I think, have been the most effective garbage time team in the NBA. No, like they are better, but are the stats saying that this team is better? No, they're better because they lost a few close games early on in the season that they really should have won and that it's just some balls bounce out. Some balls just don't find their way into the cup. Kawhi Leonard shot, for example, falling in and you know, they, they've had injuries. That's been the tough thing. But uh, the point differential, I no longer believe in that. I think it's 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 just, it's not real. It's not real at this point. But okay, Reggie Evans Award, I'm giving it to Ken Birch. He's been electric for some time now. And, you know, moving within the Raptors defense, very good court coverage relative to what we've been seeing this year. And offensively, there's some real pop, especially when he's he's finishing at the rim with a little bit of explosion, the short roll passing, and just being a little bit of a connector on above the break plays and stuff like that. Fantastic. And getting on the glass, especially against like Brooklyn, getting on the glass, making other teams pay. He's a physical guy. He's not very tall. So he has to make you feel his presence in other ways, not just vertically with, you know, standing still and you feel him that way. So he has to grind a little bit. Tonight he grinded, as he does so often. And so, Reggie M's award, Kem Birch. Top quick reaction comment from Red Van Vliet, quote, How can you all be excited about the future of this team? 
So we are going to miss a few stupid playoff games. We have a chance to add a lotto pick to our young core of Flynn, Trent, and OG. And we have some good vets on decent contracts, which gives us tons of flexibility. With a little luck and a good scouting, we will be set for a while. The future is so bright for this team, end quote. Yeah, I'm really excited to see who the Raptors add in the draft, whether it's like a Jaden Springer or a Kai Jones. I think both those guys are really interesting. And of course, the luck of the lottery balls, the ping pong balls, I should say, the numbered ping pong balls. We'll see. And so I think uh, OG is, man, three. He'll, he'll deny. Well, He won't take his player option at the end of his contract, but you have three years starting next year of OG on virtually $18 million a year. And what he's actually providing, if you want to get into the stats of it, will probably be closer to like $25, $26 million worth of value on the floor. And I know this isn't baseball. Like the isolation of player to player isn't the same. There's too much interplay between everybody on the floor all the time. But, and there's like, you can't just throw wins above replacement at it. But OG Ananobi, I think objectively, is going to outturn his contract to a ridiculous degree over the next three years and then probably is going to sign a max contract at the end of it. And I still can't. I was shocked when he took that deal, this that extension, and am still shocked to this day and perhaps even more so because of what he's shown offensively. I just, I thought he was going to get over $100 million extension. And he ended up with, 18 a year, basically. A little bit more than Luke Kennard. And Luke Kennard is better than he's been playing, but a little bit more than Luke Kennard, like 3.7 more than Kyle Kuzma. And Christian Wood, for example. Why did Christian Wood take that contract? Fire your agent. I mean, OG is supposed to be with Clutch, who is supposed to like rip teams' hearts out with these huge paychecks. And his his agent failed him, man. Money's not everything, but... You have to presume they wanted to earn as much as possible? Question mark? I don't know. OG, I cannot believe you took that deal because you are a hell of a player and you're worth a hell of a lot more than $18 million a year. He's that, that contract alone really gives the Raptors a lot of flexibility that they might not otherwise have because you get such an impactful player for that, that price tag. So that's And over the next three years, who the hell knows what OG is going to be over the next three years? Basically, I've spent this whole time, sorry, Red, I've spent this whole time talking about OG because I think Trent is like, okay, he's a shooter and shooters can get really good, but there's other parts of his game that are like below league average and some are aggressively below league average. So he has to improve those a lot or he needs to become a really, really impressive shooter because he's a streaky guy and he he has counters to get mid-range shots and push shots, but he can't really get to the rim. And Malachi, I really like Malachi, but I wonder what his ceiling looks like because he's older than Gary Trent Jr., nearly as old as OG Ananobi. So all this stuff is young core talk and all that. It's a lot older than what the what other teams usually have, and the Raptors are have been building a different way for a long time and a way that you know won them a championship in 2019. But OG, I think, is by a, a magnitude of like 15 is a, a much better part of the core than anybody else that's considered part of it. It's He's impressive, man. And uh, I, sh- I share your excitement for what the future holds, especially considering what that lottery pick could be. And OG Ananobi, you freak. You absolute monster. You are just a hell of a basketball player. But 
Thanks for listening, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.